Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 62 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we have the chance to chat once again about gear repair. So we have discussed gear repair on the show in the past, but for this episode, we are going to get a bit more in depth to learn about what you should carry in a backcountry gear repair kit, how to save money on gear purchases by learning a few easy repairs, and how to prevent gear failures from happening as often. To help me explain all of these things and more, I had the pleasure of hosting Whitney LaRufa. Whitney, all good LaRufa, has a long history of long distance hiking. His first through hike of the Appalachian Trail was in 1996, and since then he has logged over 10,000 miles on long distance trails and routes in the United States and abroad. When not slogging miles out on the trail, Allgood spends his time working at his job as the VP of Sales and Marketing at Six Moon Designs and as an independent director for Far Out Guides. Allgood is also the President Emeritus of ALDHA West, which is the American Long Distance Hiking Association West, a nonprofit focused on educating others on long distance hiking and the home of the Triple Crown of Hiking. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax and hemp, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code Outdoor Minimalist for 15% off your next order. Thank you for joining me today, Whitney. You have already been such a big help in sharing some of your knowledge in other areas of my life in my Gear RX column for Field and Stream. So I was really excited that you had time to jump onto this show as well. But before we start chatting about all things gear repair, can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in outdoor recreation and how that fits into your life today? Sure. I think I got involved with outdoor recreation because I grew up in a very rural area of New Hampshire and out my back door was 3000 acres of undeveloped property. So pretty much my entire life was playing just out in the woods as a kid. And then when I was about 10 years old, I got into scouting, became an Eagle Scout, spent a lot of time just hiking and camping and canoeing with them. And then at 18, I graduated high school early so I could hike the Appalachian Trail. And from there, I've pretty much pursued a lifetime of outdoor sports, recreation, activities, and finally figured out a way to make it my career later on. That's awesome. We have a lot of people on the show that it has been a big part of their life since childhood. So that is not surprising to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is that when you started to get more involved in learning about gear repair? Was that something that you were taught as a child? Or is that like trial and error when you started through hiking that you had to learn how to do it? I think it probably really started early on with my mother. She taught my mom's a really good sewer. She taught all four of her children how to sew from an early age. So, I mean, when we were little kids, like during the summer, we did needlepoint. That was like one of our activities to keep us busy. 
So I think having that base of sewing and then also just tinkering, working on snowmobiles and vehicles and mechanical things when I was a kid with my family kind of instilled me some basic knowledge of how to fix things and kind of understand problem solving to fix things. I would say that most of my gear fixing probably really started, yeah, probably through hiking. I think that was really the beginning of me having to figure out how to fix things myself when I was out in the field in particular. So that's kind of where I got my start. But I think what really set it off and really got me going into gear repair was after my through hike at the Alpachin Trail, I went to college and I was pretty broke. And I figured out pretty quick that I could take old gear or discarded gear from someone and I could fix it and have a halfway decent piece of gear or take my existing gear that was maybe broken and fix it so it lasted longer. And then in 97 and 98, I was a ridge runner on the Appalachian Trail and my base camp those two summers was a place called the Scott Farm in Pennsylvania. And the caretaker and his partner that were taking care of the place for the Appalachian Trail Conference were starting an ultralight backpacking gear company called Moonbow at the time. And I learned a lot about fixing gear and making my own gear from both Jonathan and Rhea. And I actually, like, first year that I was there, designed and made my own dog pack for my dog that I ridge ran with. Wow, that's a lot of things. But I can tell how it has kind of like evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And is this something that you apply a lot in your current position and job with Six Moon Designs? Yeah, it definitely is. We all take turns helping repair gear especially in the summer when people tend to be out more and things tend to get broken more and the, the repair board starts stacking up and now and then it'll be like, all right, it's Friday morning. Let's just knock all these repairs out real quick. You know, well, 15 repairs we need to get done. So knowing how to sew, knowing how to problem solve a repair and fix it, that really helps. I would say for me, the most repairs I probably do is at in-person trail events during the spring and summer. Not all of them I have time to do this, but if we're at an, a smaller event and a hiker has a broken zipper pull, I'll take the time to fix that for them. I can, you know, sew up a quick hole in somebody's tent if needed. The work vehicle is a giant sprinter that's built out kind of like an RV inside. And in there, we do carry a Singer heavy-duty sewing machine and a basic repair kit to repair most things in the field if needed. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And for people that aren't aware, can you explain what Six Moon Designs is and what your role is with them? Yeah. Six Moon Designs is an ultralight backpacking gear company. We are celebrating our 20th year in business. And my role is the vice president of sales and marketing. So besides doing sales and marketing, I'm also the face of the company that goes to all of your business to business and in-person events. A lot of the events we go to are long distance hiking, through hiking related events, so different trail days, trail festivals. So there's always a large group of users there that maybe broke something before they got to town and need to get it fixed. And if we have time, we'll go ahead and fix it right there on site for them. Do you repair only your own gear or in at those events, will you repair any brand? No, I'll repair anybody's gear. I mean, if there's a hiker in need <laughs> who's got a broken piece of gear, I'm going to go ahead and help. I'm not going to tell them, oh, sorry, that's a Z-Pax tent. You know, they use the same <laughs> zipper as me, but I'm not going to fix your zipper pulls. Yeah, I guess in person that would be pretty jarring to be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it really just comes down to time. If I have time at the event, I don't mind taking some time or after the event to go and do it. Sometimes our owner, Ron, will travel with me. Ron's been making his own gear since the 70s. So a lot of times if we're somewhere we're both there, I'll just set Ron up in the van and let him do the repairs and he'll fix anybody's temp. We're friends with most of our competitors. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> we, would, we would want them to do the same for us. Yeah, exactly. Since you do a lot of different repairs, what is the most common repair that you see as a company or even the most frequent repair you've had to do on your own gear? Uh, I would say as a company, probably our most frequent 
repair is doing zippers. Most ultralight products use a pretty lightweight zipper. Like we use a number three YKK. Most companies maybe use up to a number five, but you know, zippers are heavy, zipper coils heavy. So most ultralight people try to skew towards a very lightweight zipper. So what we often see are zipper poles starting to fail where they're not, when you run the zipper pole down, it's the zipper's not getting the coil closed and maybe you'll have it open up. So sometimes that can just be squeezed gently to fix it. We see a lot of people kind of wrench a zipper, trying to zip something closed and just pop the zipper pole completely off one side. That's probably the most common one we deal with. So that's a pretty easy repair. It's a matter of doing some unstitching and sliding it back on, usually and zipping it back up. I would say my own personal repair list, probably the repair I do the most myself is repairing holes in my backpacks, generally on my outside stretch pockets from going through really thorny areas on a bushwhack or crawling underneath a blowdown and getting something snagged on a branch. And instead of taking the time to back up, usually just try to brute force my way through something. And as you wind up getting a hole or a tear and have to sit there at night and sew that up. I luckily haven't had one of those tear yet, but I feel like it's coming. I'm, I'm waiting for the day. I am waiting. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, since it is ultralight gear that you guys make, mm -hmm. it, do you think that there are more frequent repairs because that material is lighter weight or do you think it is like comparable in durability to other types of gear? I would say in the past, that was certainly a concern with ultralight gear that most of the materials we're using were more light and delicate than maybe your standard gear. I would say in the shelter world, ultralight tents, ultralight tarps, that's kind of still the case. We try to use 15 to 20 denier weight sil nylon or sil poly. It's kind of the perfect blend of durability to weight savings. But when it comes to backpacks, it's probably where your bigger concern would be. In the past, people were using like a 400 weight to a 500 weight Kedora nylon for more traditional backpacks. Then people switched to Robic nylon, which is a great fabric. We still use 100 weight Robic nylon in most of our packs, but we've really started using a lot more modern fabrics by both Dimension Polyant and Challenge Sailcloth in their EPX and X-Pack line. That's the trade name of the fabric and like a 200 weight. And that stuff's pretty bulletproof. I have yet to have any failure on any of my packs made out of those fabrics. It's usually more the stretch material or the mesh material where we see the most amount of failure due to the lightweight. And also just the nature of a mesh having holes, it's easy to get snagged and torn. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And when people are looking at purchasing, I guess anything that would have a textile or fabric of some kind so shelters backpacks etc mm -hmm. what do you recommend people look at when they're deciding between the types of materials while shopping well i think the user needs to kind of come to terms with how rough they are on gear you know with a piece of ultralight gear even an ultralight backpack made out of that material i wouldn't suggest that you just throw it on the ground and sit down on top of your pack if you want to be that person, that's fine. There's some brands out there who make very durable gear that you would generally find like an R or something. That would be great to look for. I would say for a, for a user, especially when it comes to a shelter, I would be very hesitant to go below a 15 denier weight in a sew nylon product. Some of my competitors are using like seven denier and it's just too thin and delicate. And it also doesn't allow for a heavy duty water, like waterproofing. Other things I would look for is places where there are going to be stress. So where your shoulder straps are going into a backpack and where the load lifters are. Look inside the pack, look at the seams, make sure that the seams are bound with like an extra piece of layer where you don't see the raw sewing on the seam. It's actually got another piece of fabric going over that seam. And then look at that piece of fabric and make sure there's a bar tack going in wherever there's a strap. Because really what you want to do is make sure you bar tack through the fabric and through the binding. That gives the strongest strength you can at a place where it could fail. 
That being said, you'd want to do the same thing with a shelter. You would want to look at your ultralight shelter, make sure that they're putting reinforcements anywhere there's a guy line that's going to have a lot of stress on it. Make sure it's bar tacked there, which bar tack basically means it looks like there's a bunch of zigzags back and forth and then straight lines on top of it. That's what a bar tack is. And then also like any place you're going to put a pole or a pole handle or a trucking pole handle or trucking pole tip, make sure that's reinforced either with multi layers of fabric or a hypalon sleeve or a grommet, some way to make sure that the high stress areas are going to be taking the most amount of attention or reinforced for long-term durability. Yeah. And all that is probably easier to do if you're shopping in person, but I find yeah. online too, most outdoor companies are pretty transparent with the construction of their equipment, which is nice. Yeah, they are. And, and I would say too, I mean, ourselves personally, I mean, we still answer the phone, which I know in today's day and age is, is a bit rare, but most ultralight companies, most modern gear companies have great customer service. And if you do have concerns, emailing them prior, voicing your concerns, asking about reinforcement and tear strength or even like areas that are being going to have a lot of strain. Most people will happily answer questions and make sure you're getting what you want. Yeah. And I would say if they're not willing to answer those questions, just move on. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of options out there in today's world. So it's not like in the past when there was three companies, there's, you know, there's probably 35 ultralight backpack companies now making backpacks. So you have a lot of options. Right. All right. So to kind of pivot a little bit to be more specific about actual gear repairs and yeah. thinking more in field, can we kind of start by saying or explaining what you would recommend people should carry in a backcountry gear repair kit? Yes, definitely. So I made a list prior to our call here of everything I carry in my own field repair kit. But I do want to preface this by saying I personally hike a lot of routes, not trails anymore. So I tend to go to very remote areas in the United States for about a month at a time where I could very well go through an area where each time I hit a town every five to seven days, there's no gear shop there to buy any kind of repair stuff if something broke. So I tend to skew a little bit on the higher, heavier side of a repair kit, but everything I carry is because of a mishap I have had in the last 25 years out in the field. So I'm just going to start there. So the first thing I think everyone should put together is just a really good sewing kit. There's a lot of things that can be fixed with just some dental floss and a needle. So I personally carry curved sewing needles. These are needles designed really for canvas repair for like heavy duty sales. You can buy a three pack on Amazon for a couple bucks. They generally have a thicker gauge to them. The other thing is they have a really nice eye. So it's really easy to get thread through there because there's a nice wide eye opening. The next thing that I carry is dental floss. I carry waxed dental floss. Dental floss is a very, very strong thread. The wax that's on it makes it very easy to slip through fabrics as you're sewing through thick fabrics. And it tends to hold up really, really well long-term. So some dental floss, curved needles. The next thing that I would put with that is a multi-tool of some sort. I carry a little mini Leatherman multi-tool. And what you're gonna want on that little mini multi-tool is to make sure it has a pair of scissors and ideally a mini pair of pliers. I find the pliers look really well when I have to sew through five or six layers of material on a backpack if I got to fix a shoulder strap or something like that. I can really get that needle started and then use the pliers to force it through the rest of the way, grab it and pull it all the way through. And then those pliers are also handy for removing things like cactus needles out of someone's foot or if you got to, you know, do some kind of metal bolt or nut on a stove or something like that. I'm a big fan of Gearade. It's a uh, tenacious tape. You can get pre-cut patches or you can just get a roll of clear. Tenacious tape is a great product. It'll stick to just about everything. It'll make almost a permanent repair. I also carry a no-sew patch, just one. 
of like going to tear my clothing. I like the no-sodes that you go on and then you can throw them in the dryer when you get to town for like 30 seconds and it makes a permanent patch and there's no sewing required, which is nice. I carry a number three zipper pull. It's not a, I because I have a number three zipper on my shelter. I would try to figure out what your shelter is and what the zipper size is and then get an appropriate pull. There's a great product we carry now on our website called Zlideon, Z-L-I-D-E-ON. And it is a 20 second zipper repair pull. It is really easy to use. They make up for all different sizes of zippers. And I would throw one in anybody's repair kit that's put one together because it just makes it so easy to, to fix a zipper without having to unstitch anything. But then a couple of, like a few little itty bitty small zip ties aren't bad to throw in there. It's amazing what you can fix with a zip tie when needed. A type A tear patch. Those usually come with a repair kit for like a thermarest or an inflatable pad. They work really well to fix an inflatable pad out in the field without having to do a lot of work. And then two things I personally carry that might be a little on the fringe, but because I have broken things, I carry one trekking pole tip for the trekking poles I carry. My trekking poles double as my tent poles. When I was hiking the CDT in 2016, I broke a trekking pole tip and I was about three and a half weeks between Outfitters in Montana. And my wife actually had to send me one because it was my tent pole and I was having to use a stick every night to figure out a way to jerry rig up my shelter. The last thing I carry is an extra bite valve for my hydration pack because on the Oregon Desert Trail in 2018, in the dark getting ready to go hiking one morning, I stepped on my bite valve. I broke it in half. All my water came rushing out in the desert and I lost like two liters of the water that I had. So now I carry an extra bite valve so that happens again, I can just shove one in there and be done. Yeah, that's a great list. And I do think, especially for me as well, that I have added things or changed things in the gear repair kit that I carry because Mm -hmm. of the experiences like you're describing. You have a specific core memory experience where you're like, I never want that to happen again. (laughs) Ever. Yeah. And just, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, another thing too is, you know, just carrying some chapstick. Chapstick's a pretty handy tool for uh, lubricating a zipper in the field when needed. So if you have a zipper starting to stick, you can put a little chapstick on the zipper coil and then run the zipper up and down and usually keep it going for a while longer. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I'm I'm assuming most people carry chapstick of some kind. I always carry chapstick or like Vaseline or something like yeah. that. So. Yep. Yeah, something like that. Do you think those infield gear repair kits, will they differ a lot from the types of gear repair items you would keep at home? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there is some crossover. I would say those no-sew patches and the tenacious tape. I've used those at home. I've used the no-sew patches. I did a pretty big tear in a down jacket one day. And when I got home, I used that no-sew patch. And it's still on that down jacket two years later. So they work really, really well. But you know, at home, I have a sewing machine. You know, I'm very fortunate at my office. We have a heavy-duty sewing machine and another heavy-duty sewing machine set up just to do binding. So I have some pretty big repair stuff I have access to. But at home, I mean, I just have a heavy-duty Singer. It's like a $150 sewing machine or something fancy. I use that to do any kind of major sewing repairs I need. I keep seam sealer handy. Usually after I sew something that I want to be waterproof, I will go ahead and seam seal that repair. Not only will it prevent it from leaking, it also gives it some added strength. And then also at home, you know, I have actual fabric that matches the shelters or really good fabrics similar to what might have been broken so I can match the repair. And I have a Sulu and Notions and buckles and webbing and different things. If something major broke, I can at home do a lifetime repair on a piece of gear to keep it going. Yeah, I guess most people probably don't have that specific level of access that you do. Right. But most of the time you can purchase those things specifically, even just from that brand mm-hmm. of backpack or tent or something. Yeah. So 
very doable. And then there's also, I mean, there's some great sites for like making your own gear that usually carry a lot of the parts that you might not want to, you know, try to find one that's going to be difficult. Like, like if stop by the roll, they have a pile of different buckles and ladder locks and slides and stuff you can buy. And then there's also, you know, a lot of great repair shops in the United States that you can send stuff to to have them repair it also. Yeah, that's true. I know a lot of gear consignment stores also sometimes double as repair shops. Yep. So that's also a good place to look. Yeah, definitely. So there's going to be a variety of levels, I think, of people going into gear repair. Mm -hmm. I I know that's true for the listeners of the show. So what do you think people should know just like out of the gate about gear repair when they are going to maybe go out backpacking and don't have a solid base knowledge of something like sewing? Okay. well, I would say the first thing is learn to sew and it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be pretty. Maybe just take an old sock you have at home and shove something in it and just take some dental floss and a needle and practice doing like a whip stitch sew. I mean, I use a whip stitch 90% of the time that I'm going to sew something in the field. It's just a real easy, just keep going and going and going around and around and around. And then I'll usually double back across it. I'll go like up one direction and back down. So it has like almost an X pattern to reinforce it. But learning to do a basic whip stitch and sew, very easy. That's something I would definitely recommend everyone try at home prior to getting out in the field because it could be really handy. The next thing is I would watch some videos on zipper repair and I would figure out how to do the squeeze method where you take a part to put a little more tension on there to make it close up again. And I would also maybe even watch videos on how do you replace a zipper pull? Cause it is very easy. A lot of times you just go to the top of the seam, unstitch a couple of stitches, slide the new zipper pull on, sew it back up and then you're back in business. Yeah, there's a lot of really great resources available to us now. So yes, if you can practice it, I always recommend that people do practice those types of things beforehand, but at least getting some level of knowledge. So even if you don't remember it consistently, mm-hmm. when it comes up, you might know kind of how to approach it. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, like like trekking poles. Like it used to be with trekking poles, you could unscrew the tips and then screw them back on, like to replace a trekking pole tip. But now with the carbon fiber poles that most of us use, you actually have to like boil water, shove the tip and loosen the glue, pull it off with a pair of pliers, put the new one on. And it's like, if you don't know that you're trying to screw it, you're going to go crazy trying to get this thing off that you can't get off because it's glued on there. Yes. Knowing your individual pieces of gear is important as well. <laughs> yes. Very, very important. I mean... I would think one thing, though, I would recommend to people is go to like an REI garage sale or something, buy an old piece of gear and practice fixing it. I mean, I have like three Thermarests at my house that I bought at REI garage sales for like $5. That honestly, like a 10 minute fix of finding the hole and patching a hole. It was great to do it at home, but now I know how to do it in the field. So that's a big help. Yeah. And that can be kind of a double down because it also would save you a lot of money. Definitely. I mean... There's stuff in my kit that I've definitely picked up at consignment stores or at a garage sale or something like that, that with a little tinkering, a little cleaning up is a great piece of gear you can still use. And, you know, the other thing is, I would say, if you really want to get proficient at repairing gear, going to a place like Rips Up by the Roll and buying one of their kits, like a home kit to make. I mean, it could be something as simple as a tote bag or a fanny pack or something like that. And doing that project will teach you a ton about not only making your own gear, but then also how to fix gear because you have that knowledge to draw from later on. Yeah, I love that. I should try that. I will also be sure to share the links to a lot of the pieces of repair equipment you're talking about and also to any resources as well, because I know on the Six Moon Designs website, you also have a lot of repair information on there. So people can check that out in the show notes. Yeah, we love to do that because 
honestly, there's a lot of times where for us, I mean, doing a zipper repair, we'll gladly do it, but you know, we'll usually send out the zipper pulls for free or for a couple of dollars if someone's willing to do it themselves, just because it's a lot easier for everybody to just put two zipper pulls in an envelope than send back a whole tent back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about how to actually like implement and fix the pieces of gear. Mm-hmm. But what about preventing those types of gear failures to begin with? Can you talk a little bit about how you can avoid <laughs> having yes, to repair your definitely. equipment as often? So I would say the first thing is, Given that the trend in the outdoor world is to be gone lighter and lighter, and I, and I don't feel like ultralight gear is anymore a fringe material. I think it's the mainstream gear most people use. The user does have to realize that ultralight gear does require a little bit more finesse when handling it out in the field. So I would say the first thing is treat your gear nice. Don't throw your pack down on the ground. Don't drag it across sharp rocks. Treat it not with kid gloves, but treat it gently. That's the first step is treating things nicely. Like I said earlier on, if you're going underneath the blowdown and you feel your pack snagged, maybe stop, pause for a second, take a breath, think, huh, should I back out, try this different angle? Is there a hiking partner who could help me get unsnagged before you just try to muscle right through it and put a big hole in a pack? Then I think the next thing is keeping your gear clean goes a really long way. And it's not just a matter of keeping your zipper clean by scrubbing it out and lubricating it you know, once a year, which I do recommend doing. I go as far as when I get to town, especially if I'm like a through hike every couple of weeks, if I'm in town, I'll actually fill up the bathtub with water and I will wash my backpack and my tent to get any grit and grime and salts out of it. You know, ammonia from somebody's sweat plus salt plus dirt. It's just going to micro braid the fabric as you're using it. So by keeping stuff clean, we can prevent a lot of wear, tear and repairs that we'd have to do down the field just by keeping stuff clean and dry. And then every year before you put your gear away for the season, I would recommend the same thing. Wash it with tech wash. Give it a good rinse. Make sure it's completely dry. Lubricate any zippers and then store everything in a cool, dry part of your home that's climate controlled. Yeah, knowing that piece about how to effectively clean your gear, I think was a big turning point for me personally. But also, Mm -hmm. I yeah. I always recommend that people clean their gear before they store it for the season. And like you said, know how to store it properly. Yeah. In my house, I have a bunch of big plastic bins that I bought that I keep a lot of my gear and everything's labeled. And then I have it in a area in our basement with a dehumidifier running. So everything stays dry, but it's all nice and cool and out of the UV and in a nice good storage facility. Yeah. And if people aren't exactly sure how to store specific pieces of gear properly, I will say most manufacturers will either have that in the instructions right out the bat or you can find it on their website. So it's accessible. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I would definitely say on that just to kind of harp on one in particular is like water filters. I have a lot of friends who don't properly maintain their water filter. They never understand the first trip out every year why their water filter won't work. It's like, did you back flush it and shake it out and put some bleach through it like they recommend? No, that's why it doesn't work. (laughs) Yes, and that reminds me that I do need to do that. So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Awesome. So you already shared a lot of different resources, but can you think of any other more specific resources that you would recommend people check out if they want to learn more about gear repair? You know, I would start with a lot of the Make Your Own Gear forums and sites. Reddit, Ultralight has a subreddit on Make Your Own Gear. Probably a lot of great information in there. I've said it like four different times. I, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but Rips Up by the Roll has a lot of great information on their website, a lot of great resources because they're trying to help people make their own gear or fix gear. And then I would just say like YouTube's always a great one. You know, there's endless knowledge out there that you can watch and then just trial and error. I mean, you know, some stuff you're just going to learn by having to do it yourself and 
there's nothing wrong with failing at it the first time and trying again to figure out a solution. Trial and error. It is a great teacher. Sometimes it's very <laughs> frustrating, but... <laughs> yeah, it can be expensive, but yes. it's a great teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I said, I'll be sure to include those links in the show notes. And one thing that I have started to look for in more recent years is the consignment shop in my area. They have little mm, like clinics, like repair clinics for a variety of different types of gear. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that is true in many different cities. And I also know that REI has a lot of different types of clinics. So yep. if you're more of a in-person hands-on type learner, that might be worth looking into. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could use one of those myself right now for bike repair because I'm have a passion to do more bike packing, and the thing holding me back is not being super proficient yet at bike repair when needed. Same. Yeah, I have learned some bike repair trial and error, and that is mm -hmm. even more <laughs> intense. Yes, more intense and so much scary when you're out there going, oh, I hope my derailer is going to work better than it was after this. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Flashbacks. All right. Here yep, we go. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's a lot of really, really great information, and I hope that listeners will check some of that stuff out. But how can people learn more about your work and check out some of Six Moon Design's gear? Well, Six Moon Design's is sixmoondesigns.com. We're very active on Instagram and Facebook. We also periodically post stuff on TikTok. We have a great newsletter that we put out weekly. In there, we share all sorts of different trip reports, gear tips, pro tips. So that's a great way to subscribe to that. And then personally, I have a website, thedagodiaries.com, where I've blogged about every hike I've done. And yeah, you can connect with all my social feeds right through that too. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for all of this great information. It was really fun chatting with you. Yeah, you also have a great day. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.